Happy National Blueberry Popsicle Day! Welcome to the seventh episode of the What Happened Today in History podcast. Just to notify everyone, this episode is the first episode of Season 2. Season 2 will have a different uploading schedule. New episodes will be launched the first Thursday of every month, so we will be uploading once a month from now on. We have a lot in store for you today, so feel free to do some chores or tasks while listening. I'm very excited. Me too. (laughs) Okay, so you can start off. Oh, okay. So, uh, September 2nd is National Blueberry Popsicle Day. Mm -hmm. And there's no, like, real reason or, like, story on why September 2nd is National Blueberry Popsicle Day. But there's a very interesting history in the invention of the popsicle. Alright, let's hear it. So, for centuries, people have enjoyed frozen treats. Um, Ancient Roman slaves would go up, like, mountains and retrieve Mm -hmm. ice, which would be turned into crushed ice and would be, like, topped with fruit syrups. And even Marco Polo and Thomas Jefferson liked sorbets and ice. So kind of like snow cones, but like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but the invention of the popsicle came in 1905. So in 1905, in Oakland, California, an 11-year-old boy named Frank Epperson accidentally invented the ultimate summer treat. Um, He was enjoying a drink made of powdered soda mix and a glass of water and was stirring it, like stirring the mixture with a wooden stick. Mm-hmm. And he accidentally left it outside overnight in the cold. Uh, when he realized what happened, he quickly ran the glass over hot water and removed the creation using the wooden stick. He started to sell like the um, the popsicle yeah. uh, to his friends and family and called the creation um, the Epsicle, a twist oh. on the word icicle and his own name. Oh, cool. Uh, he patented his invention in 1923 but with the name popsicle since his children called them pops sickles and the name stuck ever since wow that's awesome (laughs) i mean like today like even like we make our own popsicles by like putting orange juice and oh yeah containers putting like (laughs) we don't have popsicles yeah i'm just gonna take it out okay your turn all right so, in 1984, a shootout between two rival motorcycle gangs, Bandidos and Comancheros, ended with seven people dead. So, the fight began in the car park of Milpera's only pub, where bikers organized and planned a party to celebrate Australia's Father's Day. So, six biker members were killed, one innocent girl was killed, and 20 other people were wounded. And the young girl was selling raffle tickets outside of the pub and was shot in the head when caught between the fighting. So both gangs used, like, guns, knives, and baseball bats to injure each other and, like, harm each other. And the fight briefly stopped when paramedics treated the wounded and dead, but it took the police another hour to take take full control of the situation. And the residents of Milpera were shocked when such violence could take place in a peaceful suburb. And so this uh, this court case was named Milpera Massacre, and it was considered one of the biggest in Australia. And the leader of the Comancheros gang was mainly responsible for like the start of the fight by like kind of he like kind of forced his gang members to go to Milpera and like like with like weapons and ready like to fight the banditos since they were already like like enemies kind of. Mm-hmm. And then so. 43 people were charged with seven murders, and the leader slash seven members of the Comancheros gang received a life sentence, while 16 Bandidos uh, members served 14 years in jail for manslaughter. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my and that's Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, well, okay, so your my next thing is, the Great Japan Earthquake of 1923 happened during September 2nd. 
So it started mm-hmm. on 11.58 p.m. on September 1st, and it was like four to eight minutes, and it was the worst earthquake in Japanese history. Wow. Um, these few minutes were enough to bring down nearly every building, house, and skyscraper in Yokohama, a city in Japan. Mm-hmm. And across most of the country, buildings fell and killed thousands of people. And some even died from drowning after falling into the waters from holes in the ground created by the earthquake. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, minutes after the earthquake, a 40-foot-tall tsunami crashed and swept away thousands of citizens. <gasps> then, a fire tornado spread across Japan and burned down everything and anything in its path. Japanese citizens fled to the Sumida River, but drowned by hundreds when bridges collapsed. Thousands of people also fled to empty patches of grounds close to the river. Off oh of like the forty-four thousand people that gathered there, only three hundred people survived. Three hundred, like that were in the empty patches <gasps> near the crazy. river. That's crazy. And the flames were officially like out and like burned out on September third. And by the end, about forty-five percent of Tokyo, the capital in Japan, burned down. Oh my! Crazy. So it's so, like like the earthquake, tsunami, tsunami. <laughs> and then the fire. Tornado, yeah. So that's crazy. Right. Wow, that was a lot. Okay, so in 1902, the first sci-fi movie was released. Hmm. Georges Melies created the movie by the name *Le Voyage dans la Lune*, that was considered as the first science fiction movie because it had a few visual tricks to show, like a spacecraft journey to the moon. Hmm. And so, today there are over 1,000 sci-fi movies, and some of the most popular are Star Wars, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, and, like, a bunch more. Mm-hmm. So, Georges yeah. technically started this genre, but, like, many movies have taking, taken it in different directions and improved all the quality. So, obviously, like, as time goes on, the animations and visual effects get better and better. So now there are more movies where the aliens or, like, spacecrafts yeah. look so realistic and since they use, like, green screens and very detailed props. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I I like those sci-fi movies. Yeah. I've seen, I think, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so do you want to go? Sure. Okay. Okay, so in 1945, the end of World War II occurred. Mm. It happened when the Empire of Japan surrendered to the forces of the Allies. And so, for the site of the official surrender, President Truman chose the USS Missouri, a battleship that had uh, seen lots of action in the Pacific, and named after his hometown. Uh, So, the ceremony was also held off until September 2nd, so the representatives of, like, all the main Allied powers arrived. So... The end of the war is technically the second because the ceremony is on that day. Okay. And so, on that day, over 250 Allied warships lay at at anchor in Tokyo Bay. And many signatures were written that day by the Japanese foreign minister and the general who signed for the Japanese armed forces. Also, Mm -hmm. nine more signatures were written by the U.S., Britain, China, the USSR, Australia, France, Canada, the Netherlands, and New Zealand. And after the 20-minute ceremony, World War II was over. Wow. Whoa. So, yeah, after, like, all those signatures, the war was, like, technically just over. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So, on September 2nd, 1944, Anne Frank and seven others who were hiding in the secret annex were preparing for their transport to Auschwitz. Um, They had been hiding there since 1942, so for two years, and they were exposed by an anonymous tipper who was never caught. So they don't know who told, like, the Nazis that they were hiding in the secret annex. Yeah. 
So she and her family were sent to Auschwitz, a concentration camp operated by the Nazis, on September 3rd. Mm-hmm. When they arrived, their family was split apart. Anne, her sister Margot, and their mother were sent to a labor camp for women, and the father was sent to a labor camp for men. Otto Frank, Anne's father, was the only person to survive the war and the conditions of the concentration camps. Later, Anne and Margot were sent to the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp while their parents stayed in Auschwitz. The conditions in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp um, were wretched since there was a lack of food, it was cold, wet, and contagious diseases were everywhere. And both sisters contracted typhus, and Margot passed away a few days before Anne. And typhus is a disease that spreads bacteria from fleas, lice, and chiggers. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so in 1666, the Great London Fire started. It burned down 13,200 houses, 87 parish churches, and most of the city authorities' buildings. And it is estimated the fire destroyed the homes of 70,000 people of the city's 80,000 inhabitants. Oh my god. So like 7 out of 8 people's homes were destroyed. Mm -hmm. And so the fire started in a bakery right after midnight and spread rapidly. Two days later, the fire had spread to almost the entire city, destroying St. Paul's Cathedral. And the fight to put out the fire was won by two main factors. The strong east wind dropped, and the Tower of London garrison used gunpowder to create firebreaks, like stopping further spread eastward. Mm -hmm. And so the amount of deaths are unknown, but there were only six verified recorded deaths. But some people argue that poorer citizens' deaths, like, wouldn't be recorded, and that the heat of the fire cremated most of them, which means, like, people wouldn't be able to recognize them and, like, who they were and if it was, like, really a death. Yeah. And so, a melted piece of pottery found in a museum that was burned showed that the temperature reached 2,280 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,250 degrees Celsius. Like, that was, like, kind of, like, the start of the fire. Yeah. And that's how high it reached. And after the fire ended, London was rebuilt on, like, essentially the same medieval street plan, Mm -hmm. which is, like, kind of narrow and busy streets. Okay. And then, yeah. Wow. That's... So, two fires. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, on September 2nd, 1901, Theodore Roosevelt said, Speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. In his speech at the Minnesota State Fair. This West African proverb is one Roosevelt was fond of since he said it multiple times in numerous speeches. Mm -hmm. Days after saying the quote, President uh, William McKinley was assassinated and Roosevelt took his position as President of the United States. The quote's message is that one should always attempt for peaceful negotiation, but should always be prepared for physical or violent confrontation, usually using force. For this case, Roosevelt wanted to tell the people that um, him as vice president would make sure to handle negotiations with other countries in a civil matter, but would use the military if it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, I've heard that quote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, this, like, this quote reminded me of a similar quote in the movie Thor Ragnarok, starring Ooh. Chris Hemsworth, and the line is, a wise king never seeks out war, but he must always be ready for it. And this was Odin saying. And it's meaning that, like, a wise king or person mm-hmm. doesn't want war, like, physical like violent conflict to happen but is always prepared to fight if um that does happen Mm, yeah that's those two are good quotes Mm -hmm. and they do they are very similar Mm -hmm. all right so in 2018 so not too long ago a fire in the national museum of brazil burned most of its 20 million artifacts (gasps) 
So this is another fire. And the evening of September 2nd, the fire burned through the 200-year-old museum for over five hours, destroying countless artifacts, fossils, etc. that are irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at some of the pictures of, like, the burnt museum, and it looked completely destroyed from an aerial point of view. And we'll also be showing those photos on our Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there were also images of crowds of people gathering together outside of the museum and protesting against the Brazilian government. And we will also put those images on our Instagram, so you can go mm -hmm. check that out. Yeah. And thankfully, nobody was believed to be injured since the museum was closed. However, after multiple hours passed by, firefighters were still trying to put out the fire. Mm -hmm. And once it was put out, some firefighters were able to, like, recover a few items, but it is unclear how much they were able to salvage from the wreckage since, like, they couldn't always, like, keep going in and just yeah. gathering as much. Okay. But, wow, that's yeah. so sad. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay, so on September 2nd, 1979, Barbara Leach's body was found dead in Bradford, Pennsylvania. <gasps> Before her murder, she and her friends were going to a bar called Mainville Arms with their landlord. Even though it was 12.45 at night, Barbara Ooh. decided to go on a walk for fresh air all alone. That's never a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Peter Sutcliffe was nearby and was stalking the girls since they entered the bar. He followed Barbara and attacked her with a hammer from behind. Then he dragged her into a backyard and stabbed her with a screwdriver. Oh. When the police received a call from Barbara's friends who were worried about her, they started a search in the area. By the time the police found the body, Barbara had been dead for over 15 hours. Oh, my. Yeah. Peter Sutcliffe, or known as the Yorkshire Ripper, is a man who was guilty for the murder of 13 women and attempted murder on seven others through 1975 through 1980. <gasps> he was caught on January 2nd, 1981 by police when his license plate turned out to be fake. He was brought into questioning at the Dewsbury Police Station. While at the police station, he hid a knife in the toilet. Oh, my. Did I he use it? No, thank God. <laughs> and he was sentenced to 30 years in jail, but was later extended to a life imprisonment. He died yeah. on November 13th, 2020, after contracting COVID-19. Oh, so he died from COVID-19. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, this is your last fact, I think. Yep. All right, so... In 2013, Diana Niad, a 64-year-old swimmer, became the first person to swim 110 miles from Cuba to the U.S. without a shark cage. Mm. And so, she swam through the jellyfish and shark-infested waters in about 53 hours, which is insane. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So, this is a little bit more about her. She was born in 1949 and was a champion swimmer in high school. She made four other attempts to swim from Cuba to Florida, but all of those ended with either an asthma attack, venomous je jellyfish stings, weather, or dangerous swells and strong currents that pushed her off course. And on her fifth attempt, she started the morning of August 31st and finished September 2nd, where she followed a line in the water dragged by a support boat, and like she had to hum her favorite songs in her head to distract her. And she, wow. Yeah, she just had to keep going. And once she reached land, supporters came to greet her and compliment her for her amazing accomplishments. Wow. That's so yeah. inspirational. Yeah. She tried four times on the fifth one. Wow. Yeah. 
Okay, so this is the last fact for today. No. <laughs> so on September 2nd, 1752, the British Calendar Act of 1751 came into action. The Parliament of Great Britain decided to change from their Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. This made it so the new year would fall on January 1st and not on March 25th. <gasps> wow. Yeah. So this That's did not change. change the date of important holidays. For example, Christmas would still fall on December 25th. Mm-hmm. And this caused a jump from September 2nd to September 14th. So once you fall asleep on September 2nd, the next day would be September 14th. Oh, wow. So when the British citizens learned of this, they quickly began rioting. Some claimed that the mobs of people, like, came together protesting and, like, repeatedly said, give us back our 11 days. (laughs) Even in 1754, two years after this event, when the third son of the president of the Royal Society came to speak in Parliament, one of the main cries and arguments against him was, give us back the 11 days we have been robbed of. Wow, that must have been a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine losing 11 days. Yeah. I would not I'd be, be angry. <laughs> and this was episode 7 of the What Happened Today in History podcast in the first episode in season 2. Woo! Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it with friends or family. If you want to further support our podcast, We included a link in the description where you can donate a small sum of money to us monthly. All money donated will directly go to fund and to improve our podcast quality. And a special thank you to our monthly supporters who are helping us sustain our podcast. Additionally, to receive exclusive photos, podcast updates, and overall more content from us, check out our Instagram, and it will be linked in the description. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to contact us using the email in the description. Once again, thank you so much, and we will see you next month. And as always, have a historical worthy day.